We have no idea what's going on, but welcome back. <laughs> welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some barnyard language. Honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. Oh, Arlene, I saw your husband join the Facebook group and didn't agree to the rules. So oh, <laughs> you're responsible for him. He's probably never joined a Facebook group. In yeah, I don't think so. He's like, I joined the group. Is that okay? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I haven't started talk to talk about you yeah. yet. So. Yeah. And your daughter followed us on Instagram. So I'll try to, you know, limit what we say about <laughs> well, her over actually, there. She said to me the other day, do you like any like feedback on the Instagram? <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. What do you, she's 15. Yeah. And she's like, it kind of looks like a mom's Instagram. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's what it is, honey. <laughs> success like, tell her that's what I was aiming for yeah so well you I mean you could clean it up a little if you wanted <laughs> clean what up like, what is no, less mom she, I don't know well I'm interested <laughs> to hear what she thinks because I think like a teen Instagram is more curated right because like so her snapchat is more unfiltered where Instagram is like the best shots like it's which cracks me up because to me, it's like the whole point of the Instagram is to be really like honest. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just depends what you're using each platform for, I guess. I guess. Welcome back, everyone, to Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again. At the time that we're recording, we're getting to the end of summer and we're starting to get to the point where maybe our kids will leave our houses and go back to school. Katie, what's happening on your farm these days? <laughs> My kids have left the house. Um, both of our children are back in preschool. Thank heavens. Hopefully it's safe for them to be there. But, you know, for as long as it seems safe, I'm going to send them so that I can work and farm and do all that. Other than that, just getting ramped up for fall, getting ready to start, you know, putting the rams back in. And I saw the bulls looking a little excited these days. So he's getting back to work although I we had the vet out last week and we're going to have a number of calves around Christmas time so that's super fun um you know living somewhere where it snows and it gets to like 30 below and yeah good times and did you get away on any vacation this year I know that that's a tricky word with both kids and farms but did you actually uh, get to leave the property we went to a four-day tractor show in Minnesota Ooh. with my husband, both kids, my in-laws, our 12-year-old niece, and stayed in a, a beautiful Airbnb that we did not know was directly upstairs from a massage studio that was open for paying customers, um, <laughs> you know, a, a few feet below the hardwood floors. That was my, it? it was not. Um, it is a gorgeous space for, you know, a, a girl's weekend. Um a romantic weekend away, perhaps. Not so much with a three-year-old and a four-year-old. And it was on a working farm. Jim was so proud of himself. He, he booked it. He found it himself and he booked it himself. And he goes, I found us this great Airbnb. It's on a sheep farm. Like, <laughs> cool. That's 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was beautiful. So this sounds and, more like a trip than a vacation for sure. Well, the boy child calls it vacation, but now he's pretty sure the vacation only involves tractors. So he's pretty excited. He heard we might course, go to vacation yeah. on Sunday again this week. I did get a little time off this past week. Um, I had a friend who passed away on Sunday night, actually, of colon cancer at 42. And so I was incredibly thankful to be able to go and spend some time sort of sitting vigil with you know friends and family and filling the house with a lot of laughter and love because I you know the the morning part can be done on your own but the the celebration of life needs to happen before the person passes away and um he was already not really responsive but you know hospice was assuring us that he could hear us so I figured the rowdier it was, the better, because that's how he lived. And I figured that's probably what he wanted to hear in the last, you know, the last amount of time. So that was really, really important to get to connect with the community like that. Um, yeah, that sounds like it's a like a total bummer. To off. <laughs> like, that's yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. that's what living in life is about, right? It also includes loss and to be able to spend time with someone in their, yeah. their final days is, is amazing. Well, and just to realize how much, you know, him getting sick like that at 42, um, the getting sick is tragic. When you get to the end of an illness like that, the, the passing is not tragic. You know, he wasn't going to get better. There wasn't, you know, a, a last minute miracle coming. And at that point, it's really a relief for everyone involved to have it finished you know because it's it's just painful for everyone mm -hmm. and so it's it's really a relief to be done with it um so Arlene what have your family farm been up to well like I said we're at the time we're recording we're in our final few days of the summer holiday that I guess started in April when they closed schools again so I mean we were doing virtual school for a couple of months there and then the kids have been home since since our spring break. So um, we did actually get away at one point in the summer. We've had the lucky chance because of border closure. So not great for our uh, American friends, but lots of cottages in our area are owned by Americans who because of the border closures couldn't get here to use them. So the last two summers, actually, we've been able to, to rent a cottage that's under an hour away. So that's kind of ideal for us. So we could get up to the lake and get away from the farm, but be close enough for those emergency phone calls. If, you know, a, a cow needed help or we need to get back for, you know, for some chores, we've had good luck with summer students and our regular employees to be able to cover for us. So, so that's been nice. And farm wise, yeah, one of our summer students will be going back to school. So I'll be back to milking in the mornings uh, before school starts. And then corn silage is getting close. It got tested yesterday and we're probably a week or so away from starting starting silage. So our uh, custom operator will be doing the, the tractor driving and hauling of all of that. But that means getting some of the crops in, which is always nice to see it come off the field and be put away for winter. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, the power of community is never stronger than when you're trying to find somebody to cover the farm while you get away for a couple of days or yeah even, absolutely you know, my husband and I've been 
lucky mm-hmm. enough to go on a couple of holidays, just the two of us. And it always feels like such a team effort to, by the time you find someone to look after the kids and the, the farm and all the, all the different chores, you realize how many people it takes to replace you. Well, and just, um, you know, if you have livestock, the, the quality of text messages you tend to get from anyone who's holding down a fort while you're gone. I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, a few or, or years photos. ago. We, Does this look okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were at a, a farm convention a few years ago and I got a series of very in-depth text messages and photos from the neighbor who was holding down the fort here because he grew up on a dairy farm, so he knows about cattle, but a, a sheep with a prolapse was a new and different thing for him. <laughs> yeah, and trying to, to talk him through that. And I finally just sent him to vet's number and just said, you know, just call Dr. Amanda, just make this easier on everybody, buddy. <laughs> you know, this is not something I'm going to be able to talk you through via text message. Yeah, that's right. So our guest today is Natasha Nichols, who is the founder and director of the We Sow, We Grow Urban Farming Project in Chicago. So thank you for joining us, Natasha. We're super excited to have you here with us. So Natasha, we start off with each of our guests with the same question, and this can cover both family, business, uh, projects that you're working on. So our first question is, what are you growing? I'm going to need you all to go upstairs while I do this interview, please. Don't on me. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel bad when I laugh at somebody else's kids being sassy oh whatever i don't feel bad about it at all well, i don't well i don't want them to think i, support <laughs> I did the, them. i did the... so if they're still there you listen to your mother <laughs> i did a i loop around the house earlier was like i'm going upstairs do you need anything do you need anything do you need anything <laughs> don't interrupt me uh that is pretty loaded um, we are uh, growing quite a bit here in the city of Chicago. Our nonprofit is growing, uh, and we are looking to add more farmland and an actual headquarters um, to our, our uh, family. Um, it's a lot like birthing a new baby and just a little bit less painful, but just as tedious and preparation uh, loaded as, as having a new baby. And I'm learning a lot about the way the city of Chicago works and a lot about how emails often go unanswered when it comes to (laughs) city officials. So you have to become the squeaky wheel and the same way that I don't like uh, reminding people in my house to do things or that I need things. It's it's, uh, probably 100 fold with city officials. the fun thing about growing the farmland is we'll, we'll be able to provide way more food uh, to the community and to uh, neighborhoods surrounding us. And we'll also be able to do a lot more experimentation with what we're growing and how we're growing it to, to see what fits the, the, the way we're growing uh, best. So we, we try to do circular economy of a of, uh, standard model, which means you know, we're, we're trying to get as close to zero waste as possible. It's not always feasible. So we remind people of that and we're growing our understanding with that as well. As far as business goes, I think I'm just growing my understanding as a business person and knowing that I cannot do everything alone. It's a really big lesson I learned in the last three years. And my family is not growing at all. Well, probably taller. Yeah, they, 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 uh, 
yeah, my oldest, two oldest children are are taller than me now. And my almost 13 year old loves the fact that she can look down into my eyes instead of up <laughs> to my eyes. So that's, that's always a fun thing. And they're, you know, they're, they're enjoying seeing what's happening with the farm and what new things we're, we're doing, even though they're part of the farm chore um, group <laughs> and not necessarily volunteers like everyone else who comes through. Um, sure. They, they have to help out there. Uh, but that's about it. It's, it's busy around here when, when everybody else kind of gets into the mode of settling down, we're ramping up to do a lot of things. Sure. What ages are your children? Uh, 21. We will have a 13 year old this month. And later this year, we will have a set of 11 year olds. Mm-hmm. Fun times. Natasha, what did you know about growing food when you started or growing anything? I guess. Uh, what did I know about growing things before I started the nonprofit? Yep. Yep. Not, not a, not a lot. Um, I knew what, what I gleaned from uh, often visiting grandparents and aunts and uncles in the South in Memphis, Tennessee and Mississippi. But I also learned quite a bit uh, working directly with the Illinois Farm Bureau and the Illinois Farm Families program that they had in 2013. And that kind of ignited a desire to kind of get closer to uh, my food and learning about things and, you know, growing stuff so that we didn't have to spend everything in the grocery store. Um, it, it started with chickens, believe it or not. Uh, my husband wanting to have eggs, but we, where we lived originally, we wouldn't have been able to have, have chickens with where we lived in the city. Uh, there just wasn't any backyard space. But um, when we moved to our current um, neighborhood, we, we have a backyard and then there was all the space for the, the farm that we have now. And we were able to get chickens and everything. And it, it just kind of went from there. And then I became more focused on the technical aspects of it. So I, I uh, connected with the University of Illinois Extension Program and became certified in, in several areas. So I'm a master urban farmer and a master gardener. And uh, I'm looking to go back actually to get some more certifications and learning uh, under, because you never stop learning when you're in this aspect, right? Because things change and you know the ways that you grow things change and the ways that, that uh, information comes down changes. So yeah, it's, it's all about um, me being inquisitive and always curious and also being uh, just a little bit stubborn. <laughs> That's a huge That's asset in farming. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that education is so important because when you start, you don't know what you don't know yet. And then it's like every one thing you get yes. interested in unfolds into 20 more. And I feel like anyone who's Absolutely. ever had Absolutely. chickens knows their gateway drug. You know, and you start with three hens and then, you know, pretty soon. You've oh, got chicken a whole math farm. is, is, yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> chicken math is ridiculous. And I always try to tell people that uh, mm-hmm. once, once you get your, your hens, um, before you know it, your spouse is looking at you like you're crazy because you're bringing them um, onto your homestead 
in in little boxes because tractor supply or McMurray hatchery <laughs> had a sale and mm-hmm. you know you just you saw a breed that you've been looking at for the last two years uh and and you just gotta have it so that's what happens and they start off so tiny and cute yes. i mean they don't take up any space yes and then they become uh very <laughs> very demanding and they <laughs> yeah. start walking up to your front door your back door because you have not come out on the time at the time that they wanted you to come uh, to feed them yeah. <laughs> their mm-hmm. snacks. <laughs> they start, you know, just walking into your house, which happens. Yeah. Uh, now we do not have that because of the way that our house is set up. But yeah. I guarantee you, if I if I live on an actual farm, mm-hmm. uh, we would have the back door open all the time, and they'd probably come and visit us. Yeah. Yeah. Which property are you farming right now, Tatasha? Uh, we are currently on a quarter acre, but we're looking mm-hmm. to add another half acre to what what we have. And quarter acres in the city are kind of funky uh, because an entire home can take up a quarter acre of space, um, space-wise with the backyard, garage, and, and the building. So we're, we're currently on a, a space that would hold um, two buildings, and, and we're farming on that. Mm-hmm. Natasha, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little more about the headquarters that you guys are working on obtaining. Ooh, that is, um, or is it top secret still? It's not, it's not top secret. It's a bit of a dream. And I think, I think folks have to understand that I was born in 1980, um, in order to understand this reference and, uh, my, Oh, I know what it's going to be. I bet. (laughs) I was born in 81. I'm my dream is to house our headquarters in a, uh, fire station. We are not um, fighting ghosts <laughs> or anything, but um, we are we are definitely going to make great use of the fire pole uh, in the in the headquarters. We um, have put in the paperwork needed to acquire the building. It is not ours yet, um, but we are hopeful that we can get some sort of campaign started to help the city realize what an asset it would be uh, if, if we were if we were housed there. So the reason that I want to do a fire firehouse, number one, it's vacant. We have three vacant firehouses in our neighborhood because a new fire station was built to house um, all three of the of the firehouses and the the fire um, fighters and their trucks and everything. So they have no use for those three buildings anymore. Um, and when you think about a firehouse, it's a place of safety. It's, uh, somewhere that you go for help and, and, you know, a space that you can go to be directed wherever you need to be if, if you have a question. And, um, when it comes to food, I realize that a lot of people are often shy about the, the need of food and, and the hunger that they may have. And, they don't necessarily want to tell people that they are having problems accessing food or, or getting enough food to feed their families. And we, we want to be that beacon for them. Um, it's also a place that comes uh, readily available with a kitchen and learning space, and we don't have to reinvent anything. And it's a way to be sustainable, right? We're repurposing a vacant building uh, in, in our neighborhood uh, for something else. And we don't have to 
tear anything down or build anything up at all. So it helps save uh, with our with our overhead. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's cool. You know, who else can say that they're they're out of a firehouse, right? Out of a, a an old firehouse. Um, sure. And it's just it's just perfect. And you know, uh, there there are lots of dreams that I can see coming to fruition there. Fire pole. I'm picturing other people sliding down it or plants growing up it. What is your vision? <laughs> I don't uh, think you we, can do both. When we when we first open, um, because we are a nonprofit, we're still you know we we depend a lot on uh, donors to mm-hmm. help us uh, fund our mission, um, and we're we're thinking about when we open having a fundraiser where people can pay to slide down uh, the the fire pole and then afterwards we can use it for some decoration for some ivy or pothos or yeah you know grapes uh, or something philodendron i don't know um (laughs) about having anything edible growing up the fact god you know my my germaphobe stuff goes into (laughs) sure goes into play with that but I mean obviously it'd be sanitized but you know mm-hmm. just just optics <laughs> well, now but yeah I feel like you'd have to rig one of the kids up with like a repelling harness to try right? to harvest anything that's you know 10 feet off the ground on a fire pole yeah like, absolutely Here, go get those zucchini kid you'll be fine <laughs> sure it can hold your weight pumpkins hanging yeah. from from yeah. it and and hopefully not dropping off yeah yeah, that's right. Before they ripen. So tell us a bit a bit more about your neighborhood and community and how the community is involved in your organization. Sure. So Chicago is uh, the city of neighborhoods. We like to we like to say that about ourselves. And we have 70 plus neighborhoods. Um, we are about as far south as you can get before you go into South Suburb. And the way that it's drawn there, there are neighborhoods that are a little bit further south than us, but they're, you know, either west or east of us. Um, we're the farthest south where we are on the on the map before going into a southern suburb. We are the West Pullman neighborhood. And if that sounds familiar to you, um, it's probably because you've heard of the Pullman Porters and the Pullman neighborhood, which uh, are the, the train cars that were created and uh, the neighborhood that was created for the people who were building the, the train cars. So we're just west of that neighborhood. Our community is uh, pretty involved. When we first started building it out, we were the new people in the, in the neighborhood. And lots of people stopped and asked us what the heck we were doing. Um, and there were several people who had a little bit of uh, reservation about what we were doing and, you know, let us know that um, if we had an open farm that would encourage people to come and just take whatever they needed um, or want it or, you know, destroy it or whatever. Uh, And then we had the chickens out there as well. And, you know, um, had a a couple of offers of buying the chickens. So kind of formed their own um, ownership of it too. And they felt like the farm was theirs as well because it's in their neighborhood. And that's essentially what we wanted to happen uh, because we also depend on volunteers to help us run the farm. And, you know, until we get to a place where we can hire, you know, our small staff, it's essentially a, a community farm, a community urban farm. And um, people now love seeing what we're growing and then coming over and uh, picking out what they want to eat 
and then letting everybody know that they are eating something that was just picked that day. You know, there's there's a, a, a type of novelty for, I think, a lot of people in the city um, or in larger cities about being able to eat something that they just harvested. And it's, it's something that we don't often get to do because we're, we're going to grocery stores, right? And, you know, um, while we may go to a grocery store and shop and then immediately come home and prepare whatever we, we purchase at the grocery store, that produce was not picked that day. And, and there's, there's a uh, sense of, of wonder and marvel about that for a lot of people. And I want that to, to stick around, but I also want you know people in urban areas to become used to that. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not something that is so far away or such a fantastical idea. Uh, it's something that they could see happening. And that's, that's our mission is to grow gardeners. Um, even though we run an urban farm, the nonprofit grows gardeners and we want people, we want more people growing uh, in their backyards or in their homes through aquaponics or uh, hydroponics um, or on their balconies or you know patios or whatever. We want more people doing this and we want more people not to be so afraid to do it uh, because that's usually a reservation. I have a black thumb. You know, people love saying that to me, right? You can't, you can't teach me how to grow any food. Um, or, or, or flowers or anything. I have a black thumb. And then they become growers in their own right. And then they become our biggest cheerleaders, uh, <laughs> uh, inviting more of their friends and families into our community. And it's, it's, um, it's just amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Natasha, you were talking about growing farmers and, or sorry, growing gardeners. And I know you said earlier that you homeschool your kids and a lot of us either got pushed into homeschooling or supporting virtual learning in this past year. And I know our family really struggled with it. And I won't say I homeschooled because I definitely mostly just told people to get off their screens or on their screens when normally I'm telling them to get off and just making sure they were actually doing what their teacher said. But I guess my question is, how does homeschooling work for for your family and what led to that decision for you? Uh, homeschooling is, is not as, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be flippant with it, but I think when we get out of the, the mindset of having to do it a certain way, we tend to be better teachers. And I spent a very large uh, part of my early homeschooling years attempting to emulate what happened in classrooms because I, loved school when I was younger. Um, I loved the, the uh, aspect of being there and, you know, pushing all of this, this knowledge into my head, right? And then school changed a lot after I was done with, with everything, undergrad, high school, you know, elementary school. It became a lot more um, business focused rather than speaking to the child, I think, right? But teachers, um, I, I have a ton of respect for them because in, in order to uh, facilitate the education of 20 plus children over and over and over again every single year and, and connecting with them and everything is a feat. You would think that because my children came from my DNA, <laughs> I, would, I would know how to do these things. And I did not... Uh, the, the very the very first couple of years. What we do is a variation of Montessori and um, unschooling. 
So mm-hmm. a lot of it is led by what they are interested in learning with the towers of, of education, you know, reading, arithmetic, and other things built in naturally. But we, we kind of learn what they want to learn and we go for it that way with, with us teaching still, you know, how to add and subtract and all of those, those other things. And it's, I'm not trying to build geniuses at all. I'm trying to build uh, folks who love being curious and who enjoy um, learning things rather than feeling like they're being forced to, to learn. That does not mean though, that we don't get groans when mm-hmm. it's time for them to wake up and, and go to school. Um, but I, I feel like my, my kids are a lot more kid-like in general rather than um, forced to be adults in certain aspects and then you know, uh, relegated back to being kids when they, when they get out of a, a certain environment. Um, and, and we keep flip-flopping them instead of allowing them to enjoy their childhood and enjoy the silly things in life. And, you know, uh, we, we've had people state that they're very surprised that my, my 13 year old still loves certain things because, you know, a lot of 13 year olds feel like, you know, they're above those, those certain subjects or whatever. And it's just about them giving, uh, having the permission to still be children because, uh, you know, adulthood comes at you fast and, and, you know, sometimes it's not so fun. Yeah, it lasts a long time. <laughs> it's There's it's not so fun. So so many years of being an adult, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and I think I also think that with homeschooling them, I've unlocked the ability to still have that joy of learning and that joy of liking things just because I like them, rather than um, having to have permission to like it or uh, to learn more about it. It, it gives me a lot more authority over that. And it's, it's just, it's nice. Um, it is not easy. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want anybody thinking that, that it is being in charge of the education of somebody is work. Um, and especially if, you know, at some point in time, they will think of a higher education, like a trade school or a vocational, you know, school or, or college in general, that's a lot to put on yourself. But it, it needs to be something I think that's fun so that they can always be willing to uh, absorb the information and like learning. Like there, there's no reason to have to be stuck, you know, somewhere and, and not like what you're learning at all. Mm-hmm. Natasha, one of the big pluses I see for homeschooling too, or just, you know, more, more family-centered learning is the ability to tailor how kids learn things to things that mm-hmm. they're interested in. You know, I, I know so many people who said, well, my kid doesn't like reading. And then you look at the books they're being given and they're crap. Yeah. I'm just like, well, this book is terrible. Like yes. nobody wants to read this, you know, or being able to teach your kids out on the farm. You know, I know for myself being uh, more of a, a kinetic learner, you know, someone who learns by doing that sitting in a desk all day is never going to work for me. No, Um, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And you brought up an interesting point with the, um, the reading, you know, I know a lot of people who feel like graphic novels are not, not real books and they absolutely are. And they also 
serve a, a, a great purpose to, you know, as a catalyst to get kids to books that may be more challenging. You never know. It's a way where instead of forcing them to read books that I've chosen, even though there are some things where I'm like, listen, we're all reading this so that we can discuss the themes in it. And you're going to, you're going to do it because it'll expand your, your, your brain. Uh, but there, there are times where we've had to rely on people who know it better than me. And typically those are librarians and they can connect with my children uh, by asking the right questions. And that's what they went to school for. So they know what questions to ask right off the bat. And trusting people who know better than I do has also been something that's been fantastic for, for the homeschooling uh, process. Just knowing, I don't know everything. I'm not, I'm not, my background's in biology. That's what I went to school for. I'm a, you know, a science type person um, who loved to read, but I don't know you know, things. I don't, I don't spend my weekends reading advanced copies and learning technique and all of that stuff to ask questions about it. So yeah, I said, it's nice being able to lean on, you know, the, the professionals for that. Absolutely. And I feel like there's so much gatekeeping of what is, you know, real books. And, you know, I, I fully support not ingesting things that are just really badly written. Um, <laughs> But it's ridiculous to think that there's like a set number of words that makes it a real book or a set topic that makes it a real book, you know? And if your kid or yourself is enjoying it and getting some sense of wonder or engagement or relaxation or whatever out of it, then cool, you know? Yes. I mean, it's, we don't have to read just to to improve ourselves right you know? it, it can be fun right it can be it can be even the really bad books and it's it's sometimes fun to discuss I you know my twin daughter um read a book and she learned the uh wonderful uh thing that we call hate reading <laughs> the rage the rage reading the rage finishing of a book um where you absolutely either hate the characters or hate the theme or hate you know the plot but you got to finish it to see, you know, if it's just as bad as you thought that it was going to be at the end. And, and she's done a couple of books like that. And she's like, but what was the purpose? And I said, well, it allowed somebody to be creative in a way that they, they thought was great. Right. Um, and at some point, somebody connected with that book, even if you didn't. And, and that's the, that's the, the joy of, of all of that. Even when, when it comes back to, um, farming. I bet you didn't think that we could connect that with farming, but there's, there's always a way to connect with a person, whether you're a dairy farmer or a farmer that only, you know, grows, um, um, commodity crop or, you know, um, a cannabis farmer or a hemp farmer. There's a way for you to connect with someone at all times, at all levels. And it, it makes the purpose of that, uh, even even greater, I think, because something that you started from a little tiny seed is now uh, affecting different lives around you, not just yours and not just you know your immediate families. It's it's connecting you and and rooting you in in your place in this world, and it's that's kind of powerful. Well, Natasha, I feel like you just defined the entire reason that we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Um, I know for myself, like it's so easy to get 
in the headspace of, you know, farmers like me, you know, people like me. And it can be really hard to connect with other people, but we all know what it's like to lose a crop or to lose livestock or, you know, and if you don't, you probably are either ridiculously lucky or in your first season. Um, Yes. Because shit happens. That's just the way this works. But I feel like we've become so attuned as a society, as, as human beings, I don't know how much of it's just human nature to look for ways that we're different. And I know I, you know, I realized a couple of weeks ago that reading something about cotton farming, and I have absolutely zero idea how cotton grows. You know, I know it's water intensive, but I realized I have no idea what the growing season is like or what the, you know, how it's done. But I feel like I have a pretty good grip on how those farmers feel about what they're doing and about a lot of challenges that they're facing and about everything that's bigger than their actual crop, you know? And so I feel like we can all connect on that, that part of things. Yes, for sure. It's um, even, even when we don't connect uh, in any other way. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and if there's a community that, uh, showcases all of the differing um, ideology and and thought processes farmers are yeah that's a that's a large sample um (laughs) yeah uh uh for sure yet we all want to be respected as as folks Mm -hmm. who who connect people through food and i think it's such a marvelous opportunity because it's it becomes impossible to other people when you know somebody from that group. And once you've found a connection with that person, it is so much harder to say, well, well, they're not like me. You know, mm-hmm. I, several years ago, I went to Honduras and was on a trip with a volunteer group and was sort of the token farmer on the group. And we were visiting farmers and, you know, talking to folks that I literally could not speak to but how much connection we still found on, you know, they were looking at books about composting and how much we were able to communicate about composting without actually being able to use any words. Um, And how differently I saw how much of what was happening in your country, you know, once Mm -hmm. there's that connection of things that we do have in common. Um, And especially once you start, you know, having families. You know, there's just that much more connection to other folks. So what projects do you have coming up? I mean, you talked a little bit about a potential headquarters, but what other projects do you have on the horizon? Where do you sell your produce? And what are some of your long-term goals? So tell us about some of those things. Oh, so much exciting stuff uh, coming up. So um, it's finally September right now as uh, as of this recording, right? Next month, we will be hosting our second annual We Sow, We Grow Summit, which is a summit that connects gardeners and growers globally. Look at that alliteration. Um, (laughs) And it's a three-day virtual summit where we cover everything from seed to table. And it is uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of 
in regard to the nonprofit is, is being able to connect people and kind of create these friendships that we were just talking about and these connections um, with, with folks. And one of the things that makes us uh, quite unique is we're not just Chicago centric. So while we teach in real life in the city of, of Chicago, we have always been a virtual educational source. And, and that was something that I did on purpose because number one, Chicago is very, very saturated with urban farms and urban farmers and urban gardeners. Nobody necessarily needed another one in the city, but it's nice to have them in, in every area of, of the city. However, there are lots of people who don't have those resources all over, all over the world and don't have people that they can connect with and ask questions and get an immediate answer. So um, the summit was built from uh, something that I've wanted to do since about our third season in, in um, the nonprofit. But then um, I had a family member pass away and then the pandemic hit and then the pandemic didn't stop. So um, we, we, swung around and did it just virtually because we were used to it anyway. And we hosted our first one last September. Um, and it went off very well. So we, we have that coming up. Tickets will be available September 15th. Uh, you will be able to head to our site, um, wesowwegrow.org uh, to purchase your tickets or to register. And you can also find us on Eventbrite and Facebook and Twitter, all under We So We Grow. We don't change our name at all. That is what's uh, filling my head right now. Also, garlic planting season is coming up for us Northerners. I can just smell all the hard neck garlics that I'm going to be getting into the ground. We have about 25 pounds of garlic coming <laughs> that we need to be putting uh, into the soil in early fall. And it makes me giddy. I know... A lot of people won't understand that, but there's just fresh garlic. Come on now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Garlic garlic is amazing. So that's, that's what we have coming up right away. We also um, have our uh, fundraising for, for our headquarters and anyone can help us with that, whether or not you're in the community. Um, we are a registered 501c3. And we are one of the nonprofits on Facebook or Instagram that you can dedicate a birthday to. Um, you can also choose to do a fundraiser just because, you know, just because it's Tuesday. If you want to do uh, a fundraiser for us, we appreciate each and every, everyone who, who does that. And we've been connected with people far and wide who have chosen to, to um, pick us as their nonprofit of choice. And it, it makes my heart grow um, several, several levels, kind of like the Grinches did uh, during the, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. It, it makes, me, makes me very, very happy. That is going on. And we do sell our produce, but we do not ship anywhere. Um, so if you are in the city of Chicago and you want to come and visit us, we're right on the corner of 120th and Union Avenue. Uh, but that's, that's about it. Um, it's about all that my husband and I can handle considering we're the, the two employees right now, full-time employees of the nonprofit. When we do get uh, our larger staff, we will be able to you know, um, accommodate the community a lot better 
throughout the entire week. But for now, we, we work with what we have and we've been doing very well and our, our community has been you know, understanding of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm not sure how you find time to sleep amidst all of those things. Oh, believe me, I am a huge proponent of naps and <laughs> taking your butt to bed <laughs> because because a sleepy farmer is not a nice farmer and we don't want anybody. We don't want true, anybody out true. there. Yeah, um, I already had a nap this morning. <laughs> I did too, Arlene. <laughs> um, Natasha, I'm wondering, you know, you and I had talked a little earlier about ag policy and urban farmers, and there were a lot of issues I had never considered, um, you know, as someone who does benefit from a lot of federal programs. Um, I'm wondering how we can shape ag policy to be more advantageous for urban farmers and other, you know, smaller producers like you. I know, you know, you and I had spoken about the lack of tax write-offs, which is a mm-hmm. huge boon for for larger um, commodity farms and things like our farm gets payments from the uh, natural resources conservation programs um, for putting in prairie grass. And I'm guessing you probably don't have a lot of room to do that on your, you know, on your quarter acre. Um, we don't. Yeah. Um, there they are farms like here though that a year or something. So yeah, yeah, there yeah. are there are um, there are farms who who in the city of Chicago who do mm-hmm. uh, do that. We don't we don't have the space, and it's not uh, fiscally advantageous for us. Yeah. And anybody who says that they get into farming and don't care about making money, um, I'm I'm willing to call them a liar to their face. And I know that sounds very <laughs> blunt, but there's no way that you do this type of work uh, only to, you know, provide food. And that's not me becoming mm-hmm. uh, um, rich at all, but we still need to make money in order to provide for the community. Um, if we're being honest, I haven't taken, we haven't taken a salary since we started the nonprofit. And quite often we pay the nonprofit to... <laughs> to to run it uh um but it's still we still need to be able to function right and you can't function without money so we do want people to understand that uh just because we live in in urban areas does not mean that we aren't farming Mm -hmm. and i did a a takeover on a platform and i had a lot of pushback from quite a few people about calling what i have a farm you know and you know, there were several comments that stated, well, that's not a farm. That's just a really large garden. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's a quarter acre. Um, (laughs) I don't don't know anybody. Anyone who says that's not a farm, has never grown a quarter acre of vegetables because it, you know, it doesn't look like that much until you're weeding. No, Uh, or weeding and harvesting, like, and Mm -hmm. planting. That's a lot of planting that goes on. And, and when people also hear we have to do that by hand. We don't yeah. get to to hop into um, um, a large, you know, equipment and and do precision planting at all. Mm-hmm. We don't get to do that. We have to do everything by hand, and that's challenging, you know, for for a lot of people to even think about. Yep. So that policy and ag um, stuff to include us, but 
the good thing is the USDA has provisions for urban farmers now. And we get to get a vendor. Yeah, we have a, you know, get to have vendor IDs and, you know, put in in uh, requests for grants to help us build hoop houses Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. But we still have to get through the red tape of the cities that we live in. Yeah. And because a lot of our city isn't zoned for farmland, that's where we have to kind of uh, um, uh, finalize and perfect. Um, especially since a lot of larger cities, a lot of the the space that they have open that would be perfect to grow on um, is deemed uninhabitable by uh, um, the environmental agency because things have leached into the soil. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who are making the rules don't understand that you can put barriers up and build up from that and still grow in either raised beds or in greenhouses or in hoop houses. You can do things like that mm-hmm. and build your soil and build healthy you know, um, medium to grow in without having to ever touch any of the, the, the soil or anything below uh, the barrier. And, and that's a large fight that we're having. And you know, there's still a lot of stuff that I don't know. And I don't know what I don't know until I get there. Right. So going to meetings and and kind of networking and making sure that I'm listening to uh, all of the information that's being given uh, is almost like, a well, it's not even almost it is another full time job. And it sometimes becomes a little bit discouraging and disheartening to hear that we thought we were making headway and we're really like, you know, two or three years behind where we thought we were, we were supposed to be or where we were. Uh, but like I said, I'm stubborn mm-hmm. and we're six years in. This was, this was something that was dropped in my heart when we moved over here. And I, I feel with every fiber of my being that this is the service that I'm supposed to provide for my community. And it's all about taking that desire to change the world for the better and, and keeping at it and not letting all of the, you know, issues that may come to try to block me, stop me from that. And there, there have been a lot of days where, you know, I've cried. Um, I have uh, quit. I probably quit, probably quit like three times a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where? <laughs> I just say I'm done with the whole thing. And, you know, my husband's become very used to it. And, you know, the next day, we get back up and we get back, you know, we get back to work. Um, but it's, it's when, when people are thinking of that, we have to think of all scales, all scales of farms and all um, aspects of farming. And Twitter becomes uh, an interesting space too. Um, when I'm involved in ag discussions and it, it, it becomes a space where I realize that I have a way tougher spine and way thicker skin than I, than I thought that I had, because I'm, I'm still able to hold my own with a lot of people who have been doing this for generations um, and still understanding we all have a lot to learn, you know, about mm-hmm. each other, about the, the types of farming that we do and uh, about the crop that we provide for, for our, our communities. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do several different crops instead of just one entire or four, you know, um, I can, I can grow, like I'm growing jack-o'-lanterns right now and totally geeking out at the fact that I'm 
growing jack-o'-lanterns uh, on a quarter acre and that the vines are spreading to the sidewalks of Chicago. <laughs> and nobody in my neighborhood thinks that it's weird. <laughs> they, yeah. It's just it's just like, oh, yeah. And, and you know, that's that's Farmer Natasha's. That's my nickname now around here. <laughs> yeah. I found out. We'll just just move to the side of the road. Yeah, the yeah. Vines we're, we're just we'll just go around. <laughs> Um, yeah. A couple of people have also learned that uh, pumpkin vines hurt a lot. Oh yeah, and and they don't they don't want to touch those at all. We learned our lesson this year because we've done variants of of pumpkin and squash. Jack o' lantern vines um, are are aggressive and and but we are so excited about about growing that. And then we got trellises put in with cattle panel, like it's there's still that level of excitement for me where mm -hmm. we're getting up and doing this every day is new. It feels new. And there are days where I'm absolutely spent because it's hard work and working in the heat and working when, you know, it's only you doing it and nobody else. It's a lot. It's a lot. So I can, I can even respect that level of a farming, even if it's a smaller area, but it's, we're all, we're all doing the same work. We're just doing it in, in different ways and in different cities, that's all. I, mm -hmm. I think there's so much freedom in being that crazy farmer up the street too. I think so too. You know, it's for, fun. for my husband, he's the fifth generation here, you know? And so people know who he is and there's definitely more of an expectation about how he's going to do things, but they don't know me and my hair is blue at least right now and I mean they already assume I'm nuts so I can do anything I want at this point because <laughs> you know, they just kind of look at me and you know I mean like we have a cow who's a, a free martin you know was was twinned with a bull which normally makes them infertile and she's had I don't know five or six calves already and she'll feed two calves at a time she fed six calves her first lactation and people keep saying well that doesn't work that doesn't work that'll never work and I'm like well don't tell her that because she hasn't noticed yet that it's not going to work and you know I think there's so much power in just being able to ignore everything that's not going to work because I mean the worst that's going to happen is it won't work and they'll be right Right. You know? I mean, you'll be you'll be in the yeah. same spot that you were in before yeah. before you attempted it. And and that's a lot, too, where we heard a lot of that when we were building out the farm. Oh, this isn't going to last. You know, people are going to come and take everything out because they don't know what the heck it is. And, you know, you're not going to get any support. And, and all we heard all of it. It could have ruined us if. Um, I was left to my own devices and listening to that type of stuff mm -hmm. uh, and not having, you know, a, when we started, it was um, my twins were, weren't even five yet. And my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she is the mini farmer. So she um, has made it her mission. This is, this is not on us to learn, you know, how the plants look when they're, when they're uh, germinating Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, what they look like when they're, when they're fully growing and she can go and identify and she could do this before she was reading well. So, you know, she knew what a tomato plant looked like. And if she was confused, she knew enough to rub the leaves and then sniff her finger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she could tell mm -hmm. if it was a tomato or a basil plant, you know, um, uh, things of that nature. And 
this is this is also why I love homeschooling because there are no rules at all. And with being the the type of farmer that I am, there are no rules as to what I can and can't grow. Uh, now there may be rules about the type of livestock I can keep, which is understandable, right? Because you don't want just loads of poop in <laughs> in you know um, urban communities because that could get a little bit worrisome. But if I want to grow corn, which I do, um, or watermelon, which I do, um, or garlic, I can. And as long as I can figure out a proper way to do it, then then it can be done. And if I try it one year and fail, that doesn't always mean that that I did it wrong. It just means that there was something that was off about it. And I think you you made mention earlier in the podcast where uh, you would challenge people who who would say that something about this was perfect. I think that was the 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 sentiment. And you would think that they were either a first year farmer or just super lucky. Mm -hmm. And I wish you could have seen me nodding my head because the first year (laughs) that we grew, everything was perfect. Like everything (laughs) was perfect. We didn't have, we didn't have squash vine borers. We didn't have um, a ton of caterpillar worms. We didn't have rabbits at all um, on the You got rain when you needed it. Yes. And, and everything was perfect. There were no drought conditions and it set me up for the biggest okie doke that I've ever had before in my life, because that very next season we were in a drought season. And then the year after that, um, or two years after that, we had nothing but rain all season long and everything got drowned out. And that's another thing that policy, I would love for it to cover that if we got things in the ground by a certain time, that we would be reimbursed for Mm -hmm. the seed that we, that we planted and urban farmers can't, I don't think, um, my knowledge as of right now does not think that we can, we can have uh, lay claim to that, those types right, of funds. Like a, like a crop insurance or yeah. something. Is not yeah. A, yeah. But it would, it would be nice for sure. Um, mm. but it's, it's, it, that's the joy. I can grow anything I want. And we're, um, when we finally do acquire the land that we're looking at, we want to put in fruit trees. Um, because I am slightly jealous of all of the people in the city right now who are growing peaches and apples and I don't have any. So yeah, that's my, my next large plan. The big excitement this fall is that the two apple trees that I planted three years ago finally have more than like two apples on them. So see, it it makes a big deal, right? Yeah, I'm itching to pick them, but I'm just going to wait a few more weeks and let them really get <laughs> nice and red. But I'll, I'll grab each one that falls off at this point, but uh, I'm holding out. Arlene, I'm going to set up a Zoom chat for you and the boy child because he keeps, you know, we drive past the apple trees on the way home from school every day. And every day he looks at mm-hmm. them and he goes, apples, mommy? Apples ready? And I say, no, not quite <laughs> yeah, yet. How about today? And he'll you know we'll go in the house and he sets his bag down and he puts his boots on and he marches out there and he'll kind of poke at any he can reach with his finger and he'll say apples are red and i'll say yeah but they're not (laughs) ready yet buddy tomorrow like buddy i'll (laughs) like i will tell you when they're ripe (laughs) like i'm not messing with you (laughs) you will have apples when they're ripe baby i understand i bought him some apples and he won't eat them it's like, no, I grew my own. <laughs> yeah. I'm not eating these. I yeah, that's know. right. Child. He also went down and told the neighbors how to chop their corn silage last night, though. So. Oh, good. Yeah. So he's he's, he's uh, going to manage everyone else's farms, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Natasha, normally Katie asks this question because oh, uh, she's got a bit of a fair, a fair obsession. Um, that, so that the question we've bad. been asking some of. <laughs> I was waiting for um, you to say fair the question, fetish, honestly. <laughs> the question we've been asking some of our guests is if you were to enter a contest at the county fair or state fair, what one could you dominate? Oh, goodness. And, and it could be a real or made up. Oh, um, that's a fun question. And one that I, I oh, well, I am, a, I, I do sew bags. So the real one would be sewing amazing bags. And, and I think I could blue ribbon there. Nice. Um, I could also possibly blue ribbon and ideas started on a whim. Uh, <laughs> oh, I would challenge uh, you on that, Natasha. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where <laughs> I, I think now every everybody in my family, um, they say I get this look in my eye and they just know that that things are about to start happening. And Something's I'm going coming. to start volunteering. Yeah. I'm going to start volunteering. And uh one of the biggest compliments that I've I, I've gotten from my husband is I don't know how you do it, but whenever I think that something's not going to work out, you pull something out of your back pocket and it blows me away. And I, I, I don't technically like working that way, but it's the way that I do. And it's probably unhealthy. So don't, <laughs> don't do it. Um, don't take this as, as a, a sign to start working in that manner, but it's, it's the way it's ideas and, and having them, um, and, and getting people united in a way that, uh, I didn't even know that I could do. Um, and, and the summit is one of those very things like connecting with people. I don't, I, I don't, uh, have an issue with approaching people who are, uh, considered famous folks are like, so you'd go up to the president of the United States. And I say, well, I'm, I'm assuming so. Cause he's a person just like I am barring secret service. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't do it in a way that would cause you to get arrested. Right. But tackling I mean, if there, me. tackling if there was a clear me, but, path. To, you know, yeah. that's 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 who I am. I, I, I am a uh, ideas person and a people person. And I I love talking to people and I love getting to know a little bit about them until I am peopled out. And then, you know, I'm really looking forward to the husband episode where we have them on to talk about ideas we've had, because I feel like that's going to be. <laughs> a long and fraught episode. And I think we'll need to call Natasha's husband in on that one too. Yes. He'll, he'll have to write it, write all the, write all of them down. I think that I don't know how you do it is actually a, a pretty great compliment, but I'm the same kind of person. So maybe that's not, not a great, you know, sense for me. Um, I know to Natasha, one of the biggest things the biggest challenge I had with starting this group and starting the podcast was, you know, being paired with Carrie for mentorship and that she was the one person I wanted to work with and having to wrap my head around asking her to work with me. And I was so afraid that she'd like laugh at me or something and just realizing how stupid that was that like the worst thing she's going to do is say no. And that just having that, confidence to connect with people that way and to be very open with folks is so powerful if you can make yourself do it um mm -hmm. or just enjoy doing it like it sounds like you do because i am not really a people person but 
if you have enough big ideas, eventually you have to start letting other people help you with them. Yes. Um, and now that is, that is very hard for me. Delegating um, yeah. and letting go of babies of, yeah. of my ideas, letting, letting go of them because I'm always afraid that other folks won't give it the attention that it deserves um, or the respect that it deserves. And for them, it may be just work, but for me, it's a piece of my heart, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is, that is going out into the world. So it's an interesting uh, line to walk for sure. Well, I, I feel like the other thing is to really find the enablers in life. You know, like my, my husband said, no horses on the farm. And our vet said, mules aren't horses, you know, which <laughs> I, I really appreciate. And then like, I'm not allowed to go to the livestock auctions by myself anymore or any sort of livestock Ooh. sales, which is valid. And we have a, a high school kid who works for us. And, and he said, well, you know, if, if you and I went to a sale together and, you know, and I paid for it, that wouldn't be like you buying anything. You know, you could just, <laughs> you could just tell me what I should buy. And then, you know, if you just gave me money later for something else, that wouldn't be the same as you going to a livestock sale. And I'm like, you know, yeah, those hey, friends are I dangerous. like how you think uh, and be, yeah. you guys my are, friends are, are dangerous that way. Yeah. My friends are definitely dangerous that way. And I think my husband's catching on. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad when they catch on, but probably just as well, I guess. But their lives would be so boring without us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure my husband's life was a lot more straightforward before we met. But um, <laughs> I think he likes the challenge. Maybe not. Yes. Um, yes. We are character builders. Yeah. I'm glad he's going to hear this and he's going to, I'm going to leave that in that you said it was character building for him. I, I will say, I will say this. I believe that you asked me, you asked me where everyone can find us and connect with us. Correct. Yes. And if you want to <laughs> remind him to tell yep. to give you money. Okay. Um, so we are, we sow. We grow everywhere. If you want to get connected to us on Instagram, which we're very active, Instagram and Facebook, uh, just tag us or use the hashtag We So We Grow. You can donate directly to us by going to our site, we so we grow.org. And there is a huge donate button because that's what nonprofits do. And you can click it and it'll take you directly to um the space where you can donate. There are also donate buttons everywhere on Facebook and Instagram as well on our profile. Um, our second annual summit will be taking place October 15th through the 17th. That's a Friday through a Sunday and registration will open on Wednesday, September 15th. And you can sign up for our newsletter to be alerted. You will be the first folks alerted if you are uh, newsletter subscribers. And it's just me, so be nice. And we have some volunteers helping run our social media. So be nice to them too, because uh, they're, they're not as old as I am. So rolling their eyes and ignoring people doesn't always work um, for them, like, like it works for me. That's essentially everywhere we are. We honestly appreciate every single quarter nickel dime that we get. Uh, a lot of people feel like they, they can't do anything if they can't give us, you know, hundreds of dollars. 
$5 works, you know, a dollar works because it's a dollar more than we had before you gave. So we appreciate each and every uh, donation that comes through. And we also love it when you all share our mission and our nonprofit with your friends and family. Oh, one of my favorite podcasts was talking about dealing with uh, social media trolls the other day. And she said when she gets a, a rude private message, she starts typing, you know, so the, the typing bubble comes up. And she'll do that for a while and then she blocks them because she figures that way they just have to wonder about what she was going to say. Yeah. It's so it's so fun. I I um I am so very happy that I am not growing up uh, mm-hmm. actively in the age of TikTok and social media and that I was able to be a child uh, without it being recorded all the time or without feeling the need to record it all the time. And people who spend their days trolling people or making other people's lives miserable or attempting to, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, they make me sad. And, you know, I, I always hope that they will find some sort of love that they're searching for because they're not getting any hate from me. We block quickly. I don't, yep. I don't do, yeah, I don't do that. It's a, it's a quick block for me. And I don't even, I don't care about what, <laughs> what they were saying or anything. If it's not who I am, I don't care. We just block. And I think other people should too. So Natasha, our our next segment is the cussing and discussing. I can start. So last night we went, or I took my uh, 13 year old to his first rabbit agility 4-H meeting. Um, He's not the most sporty of of people and our uh, rabbit is not very sporty, but we've been looking for uh, for activities now that things are starting to open up a little bit. So there was a 4-H club starting up. So we decided to bring bring our, our rabbit and our boy to the uh, to the first meeting. So there were, um, I don't know, like 10 or 12 kids. And in the email that came out before, you know, you're supposed to bring food and water and a, a cage for your, for your animal. And it explicitly said that that all the children were responsible for making sure that the rabbits stayed apart from each other. And that so far they had not had any babies result from previous <laughs> rabbit agility clubs. So it was so cute watching these kids go around and be like, is your rabbit a boy or a girl? <laughs> and so they were le- letting some of the girls sniff each other, but being very careful about keeping the uh, any rabbit breeding from happening at the event. So um, our rabbit, who was quite large, did not really go over any of the jumps, but she was good at tunnels. She uh, she would hang out in the tunnel and then eventually would uh, find her way through. So it's uh, something to work on. Rabbit agility sounds like one of the most delightfully charming things I have heard of in a long time. And I think I'll add it to my list of things that are always good. It's quite cute. I I, just... I'm not I'm not having love love for the rabbits lately. Mostly because <laughs> of all the rabbits we have on our farm now. And I used to yes, have a rabbit going after growing up. Well, I used to have a rabbit growing up. I had an albino rabbit that my mom was terrified of. It was a gift from an aunt. So uh, my, <laughs> my, my rabbit love is not as, as uh, proficient as it used to be. But that does, that does sound adorable for sure. Rabbit Agility Club. That is, that is something. <laughs> <laughs> Sure is. I'll, I'll record, record some of the uh, of their achievement day when they go to the fair in a few weeks and uh, get get some footage for the uh, the backyard language group. Natasha, do you have anything to cause or discuss? Any good, bad, or ugly that's gone on in the last few weeks? Oh gosh, the heat wave. You would think that as someone who loves growing their own food, that I would appreciate the sun in all of its glory. I do not. And uh, as many times as I've 
told people to stay hydrated and recognize symptoms of heat exhaustion or heat stroke. Uh, I had heat exhaustion last Saturday and it was not a fun weekend recovering at all. And, and um, I respect the sun a lot. I do not like the sun leaning on my shoulders um, or on my back the way that it seemed to have done <laughs> last Saturday. Mm-hmm. So that was my, that's the only, I think the only issue that I've had this year with, with farming um, on for myself, other than the very deep tan that I also have, which is kind of amazing. I don't think I've ever felt so sick and so helpless as, as having a uh, heat exhaustion. And apparently I'm not a very good patient. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to subject the family to that. Any <laughs> they, they don't either. want it to happen again. <laughs> so I get water brought out to me whenever, whenever I go out on the farm, Hey, you forgot your water. We're not doing this. We're not doing <laughs> yeah. this again. We're not doing this again. So that's the, that's the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the good is just every day above the ground is a good day for me i'm happy about that arlene do you just want to wrap up what we've got <laughs> yeah, i'm done that's a out. perfect that's perfect for the segment yeah <laughs> yes tech issues yeah for sure mm-hmm. all right so on behalf of katie and myself i want to thank you so much natasha for jumping for joining us today and um it's been great learning about you and your family and all that you're doing so we would uh, direct everyone to check the show notes and to follow Natasha on social media to find out what's happening with her next. And as usual, you can also follow us on all the socials, um, Instagram, TikTok, and you can join our private Facebook group on on Facebook, obviously. So it's called Barnyard Language. You can put it in a request to join. And that's where you can connect with other families, other farmers, receive support, chat with other people, maybe see some videos of rabbits doing jumps, who knows. And you can also send us an email if you want um, at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com. We love your submissions for our cussing and discussing segment. If you want to send us an audio file or just send us an email, we can read it out for you. Until next time, may your hay stay dry and your children stay dry.